Good morning, everyone. Oh, I'm getting a little bit older. <laughs> Praise God. Well, I just want to share my joy with you. Uh, last yesterday, my son has given us another grandchild. So, a granddaughter has arrived yesterday. And uh, it's fun. <laughs> very good, very good. Good morning, everyone. Wow. And a special greetings also to those who are in City Campus, uh, those who are watching us online. We're so glad to have a campus online where many are coming in to watch. And for those who are also watching from NCLC, special greetings to you this morning. Well, today is Giving Sunday. Now turn to your neighbor and say it's Giving Sunday. Come on. Okay, it's talk, we're going to talk about money. Okay, it's Giving Sunday. And uh, some, I want to share with you something which I've entitled Giving as Worship. So shall we bow? We have a word of prayer and then we're going to commit this time of sharing to the Lord. Father, I'm so grateful to you that you have given us so much. Thank you that the greatest gift you gave us was salvation. That because of what you did on the cross of Calvary, today we can come boldly into your presence. Today we can come knowing that we are accepted in the beloved. Today we know that everything we have, everything we are, belongs to you. Lord, you are king over our life. Lord, we pray that you teach us how to be good stewards. And today, in particular, in good stewards of the resources you put into our hands. So that God, every one of us, can be used of you to advance the purposes of the kingdom through our giving. So we commit this time of sharing to you now. May your Holy Spirit come and just speak to us. Encourage us who are giving and continue to challenge us to use everything we have for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, there's a wonderful story uh, that was told about three stingy brothers who attend a traditional church. And so you know, in, in traditional churches, they have a liturgy, so they know exactly what time, what's gonna happen. So these three stingy brothers never like to give, so they decide they always show up in church just after the giving is over, just in time to hear the sermon. So just like every other week, they arrive that, that Sunday morning, right? Time it such that it's just after the offering, and it served them very well until the day the pastor decided that he's going to change the order of service that morning. He decided to preach first and then collect the offering after, just like today. <laughs> and so they came in, the three of them, and they sat down and to their horror, they discovered that, oh my God, offering is gonna happen. And as they watched the offering back coming to them, they don't know what to do. There seems to be no escape. And it was at that point when suddenly one of the brothers collapsed to the ground. And then the other two quickly carry him out of the service. <laughs> Such a brilliant idea. I never thought of it. What a brilliant idea. Super smart. But what's my point? Here's my point. Money is such an intriguing thing, isn't it? It's intriguing. You know, because of money, a father can sue a son. Because of money, marriages can break down. Because of money, best of friends get into lawsuits. 
Money is an intriguing thing. And perhaps that's why money is one of the most talked about subject in the Bible. One Bible scholar actually estimated that there are more than 5,000 verses that talks about money. The number of references to money far outseats, um, far exceeds the topic on heaven or hell or salvation and prayer. Interesting, huh? 16 out of 38 parables actually make reference to money and possession. And since Jesus spoke so much on the subject of money, how many of you agree? Money must be important. It is. It has been a while since I've spoken about giving or tithing, if, I, if I'm not wrong, at least four to five years, I've not talked about this. But for those who may be new to the term tithe or tithing, uh, basically the word tithe, T-I-T-H-E, simply means 10%. That's what a tithe is, it means 10%. Uh, it is an Old Testament requirement for the people of God, the Israelites, to give 10% of what they have to the Lord. And this includes the crops they harvested, it includes the flock that they raised. In fact, the Jewish people in the Old Testament actually did not just practice tithing, they practiced multiple tithes. In other words, the, they, on, on top of their personal tithe, which they give to the temple so that it can upkeep the temple and keep the Levites going, they also tithe for their feasts that they celebrate the annual feast that they celebrate, and they also give a tithe to the poor, to take care of the poor. So in reality, the devout Jews actually gave more than 10% of what they have. Now, all that is under the Mosaic law. And then Jesus came, and when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the law on our behalf. So the New Testament believers are no longer commanded to tithe. So I just want to make that clear. In the New Testament, no longer commanded tithing, but rather we were taught to give with generosity and in keeping with the income that we receive. So the principle is now this, to whom much is given, much is required. Now personally, I have been a tither uh, since the day I came to Christ. Uh, that's like 40, 50 years ago. But not because I have to tithe, but because I want to tithe. And what I want to do this morning is to share with you why. Why I want to continue tithing and giving. Now, I'm gonna begin by reading for us what Paul taught us in the New Testament about giving from two passages of scriptures. And then from these two passages, I wanna pull out for you six very important principles about New Testament giving. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can go along with me now. I'm gonna read for you what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, verse one to four, and then look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse six to 15. All right, so don't all of you look so serious. I know that we're talking about money, and money is not a nice subject to talk about, but I'll try and make it as meaningful, as relevant, and as fun as possible. Is that okay? So flash me a smile. Today, you all look very serious. So put down your, your guard and put down your defenses, okay? I'm not gonna ask you to empty your pocket or anything like that. So let's just hear what the Word of God has to teach us. All right, so let me go to 1 Corinthians 16, verse one to verse four. Enjoy the process, okay? Now, verse one. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. 
On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. And then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve, send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So the context of this is that the church in, in Corinth was doing a church collection and they were designating that collection totally to do a famine relief that is going, because there was a famine going on in Jerusalem. So out of that, there are wonderful principles we can learn about giving, okay? Then he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to verse 15. Now Paul goes on to talk about giving and he says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound to every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will, will result in thanksgiving to God. Notice what is the end outcome is thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in your, their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gifts. Out of these two passages and a few others, I want to pull out for you now six very important principles about New Testament giving. The first is this, it's the principle of proportion. Everybody say proportion. It's the principle of proportion. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, Paul wrote this, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money. How much is that? It is in keeping with your income, in keeping with his or her income. So the principle is this, to whom much is given, then much is required. We give as the Lord prospers us. Our God is a just God. It's not just fair. Fair means everybody is treated the same. Then everybody must give the same amount. But He's a just God. And He looks not at what we give, He looks at what we keep as well. And in Luke chapter 21, verse 1 and 2, remember the incident when Jesus was at outside the temple and He saw people, He looked at the rich, right? Putting in large amount of money into the offering. And then they saw this old lady that came along and put in only two coins. And then He said, huh, this is a great opportunity to teach them about giving. He turned to His disciples and He said this in Luke 21, verse 1 and 2. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Then He said, she has given more than the others. Even though what she gave is not much, whereas what the people give, what the rich people give was so much. But Jesus said, she's given more 
than all of these other people. Why? Because it is not the portion, it is the proportion that matters. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2 to to the Macedonians, you know, he was talking about the Macedonians who were also wanting to give towards the the, the famine relief, but they, they didn't have much. They were a very poor city, unlike Corinth. See, but Paul said to them, out, uh, in 2 Corinthians 8, 2, he says, out of their extreme poverty, welded up in rich right, generosity. In other words, they were poor, but yet they were very generous. They wanted to give. Now, whoever said that the poor cannot be generous? I don't think only rich people can be generous. Some of the, the most generous people I know don't have much. They are, they are not wealthy, but yet they are very generous. They are always wanting to do something, always wanting to give something. It may not be much, but it's not the proportion. It's, the pro, it, it's not the portion, it's the proportion that matters. I have a feeling that when we get up to heaven, heaven will have a very different honor list. You know, in, uh, on our list, it is usually, it may be filled with major donors. And, and please, I'm nothing, nothing against major donors. We, you know, we need them. With whom much is given, much is required. But the, my point is this, that the, our list may be filled with major no, donors who have, have their names, you know, sometimes their names are printed on the pews and in the walls of the century. They have names, or they, they have rooms that are named after them in the church and all of that. But I think when we get to heaven, God's list is going to be filled with ordinary folks, young, stu- young people, poor widows who are given out of the little that they have because God looks not at what we give but also at what we keep. We give in proportion to what we are given. Are you with me? Now, I think that the most basic proportion that we can think about would be the tithe, 10%. Right? I, I know that I said earlier that the requirements to tithe was under the law. And in Christ, we are no longer under the law. I know that 10% is not the magic number. It's not. But it is really hard for me to fathom how anyone who have tasted the goodness of God's grace will actually do less than what the Pharisees did. And they were so meticulous about their tithing, they even tithed their... They are, they are spices, they tied everything. When, if you are in a financial position to do so, and yet we are unwilling to even do that, then I do ask myself, how come? Oswald Chambers said it so beautifully. He put it this way. Listen to what he said. Will a Christian who is experiencing intimacy with his Lord wish to take advantage of grace so that he can give less to God's work than the Pharisees who knew nothing about Calvary's love. And I said, I don't think so. And therefore, here's what I think. Under the law, the tithe is like the ceiling. It's like what we can shoot for. But I think under grace, the tithe is just a floor. It's just a, the tithe is just a starting, not the ending point. Under grace. So under the law, tithing is compulsory. If you don't tithe, you come under a curse. But under grace, I think tithing should be willingly. 
It's something that you do, not because you have to. It's something we do because we want to. We give our tithe out of gratitude, out of worship for what Jesus has done to set us free. Now, again, we know that tithing is no longer a covenantal requirement today for us as New Testament believers. As such, to enforce tithing as a legalistic requirement like the Pharisees did during the time of Jesus would be unbiblical. So how then should we as New Testament believers, what should we do? I think we should practice tithing as worship. Practice tithing as worship. God has given us so much. It compels us to want to tithe as an act of gratitude and worship. In fact, today, not only 10% of what we have belongs to God, I think 100% of what we have belongs to God. Isn't it true? And we are only giving a portion. In fact, I think that we should be giving in keeping with our income. We should give as the Holy Spirit would lead us. And the more we are blessed with, the more we can give. For those of us whom God has blessed with the ability to make money, I actually think we should give more than 10% so that our earthly wealth can go to serve the purposes of the kingdom. Amen. Paul challenged us in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, he likened our money to seeds. Right? So we have a store of seed. And then he said, God is the one who gives us seeds in the first place. And then he, would, he, would, he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, he will continue to increase his store of seed. For what? It's so that you can be enriched in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And then through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So the more we release our seeds to sow into others, the more the Lord will provide so that you can continue to be generous. But what is the purpose? Please listen to me carefully. What's the purpose? You know, what, it is not about wanting to get more in return. Now, this is where the prosperity gospel breaks down. They want to give, but at the same time, what's the purpose of giving? It's so that I can get more in return. So if I give $100, then I expect to get 34, 64, 104. And then we keep on going on this, harping about how I should get more because I give more then we totally miss the point. See, it is, that cannot be the driving force. But it is so that your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The purpose is not to, to get more. <laughs> I give to get more. The purpose is because I give so that God can be glorified. And thanksgiving can go up to Him. And the more I give, the more thanksgiving will rise to God. It's the principle of proportion. Okay, so capture that. It's a principle of proportion and I give as an act of worship, not to get more. Here's the second principle, very important one. It's the principle of priority. The principle of priority. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul also begins by saying this, on the first day of the week, first thing you do, put aside the sum that you decide on your heart. During the time of the Apostle Paul, it's very common to be paid weekly. Nowadays, we got bi, 
uh, bi-weekly or sometimes monthly. But the point is this, Paul exhorted them that the moment you get your income, set aside an amount for God first. In other words, God should get the first fruits, the priority. If we are paid monthly, then set aside what you want to give to God first before anything else comes into it. If not, we are going to end up giving God our leftovers. And that's not a good practice. Uh, I like this. Uh, let me give you a little illustration. There's a $50 note and a $5 note that ended up in the currency recycling factory after they go their rounds. So, so in that factory, as they were waiting to be recycled, they had a conversation. There's a conversation that took place between the $5 and the $50. So the $5 turned to $50 and said, so, where have you been? And the $50 says, oh, I have been from this restaurant to that restaurant, from this hotel to that hotel, from this club to that club, you know? And, and then, what about you? Where have you been? Oh, I've been from this church to this church, from this church to this church. Okay, I think you get my point. <laughs> Got that? I think we should give priority, give God priority in our finances. It's our first fruits, not our leftovers. And I want to challenge you, my brothers and sisters, if you have not taken the first step to actually give regularly to the, to the kingdom of God, you have not actually taken your first step of faith to tithe, do it today. By faith, you know, we see, you can see, we see financial breakthroughs in our own life. If we keep postponing it, you won't do it. I've been tithing since I became a Christian. And God has never shortchanged me. And this is 50 years now. So 50 years is long enough track record to say that it will, I think God will not shortchange us. And the fact is this, if we do not cultivate a habit of giving when we have little, I think we will not give when we have much. That's a fact. So young people, hear me. If you don't start tithing or giving regularly out of your allowance, you're not gonna start doing it when you get a salary. Because we start with what we have little and then God, will, that will prepare us for what is to come. If I have $100 and I cannot give 10, how can I give 1,000 when I have 10,000? It's gonna be very hard. It's the principle of priority. We learn to develop that wonderful habit of giving. It's the principle of proportion, the principle of priority. Can I give you one more? It's the principle of purpose. The principle of purpose. Can I say this? Don't tip God. Don't tip God. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, Paul says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. There's a decision made. There is a purpose behind your giving. You see, and I think we should let our giving be done purposefully. Now, nowadays, we no longer collect offering. Huh? But back in the pre-pandemic days and we still pass offering around, can you imagine? Often this is what happened. We don't decide. We give no thought to the giving. We just let it happen when it happens. So when the offering bag comes around, wow, we scramble, look for our wallet and hope that we have some small change inside. 
Can you imagine you open up and oh, oh, $100 note, how ah? Uh? <laughs> you struggle with that. <laughs> and thankfully, these days, we don't use offering plate anymore. You know, back in those days, they give offering plate, everything is in the open. Oh, yo. <laughs> Can you imagine you put in $10 to take back $9 change. <laughs> but I think before we come to worship, my friends, we should prayerfully decide what we want to give. Prayerfully decide what you want to give. And then we prepare the offering and we give purposefully as an act of worship. Now, some of you sitting here, you may be asking, I can understand that it is biblical to give, but why should I give to the local church? Why can't I give it to wherever I want? Well, the truth is this. When we give, when you give, you're not just giving to the church as an institution. You should be giving to the cause of the church. You know, we are giving to the vision of the house to make disciples of all nations. Now, I know that, in, and I'll be honest with you, I know that in recent times, distrust in the institutional church has grown uh, because of the mishandling of funds by different churches. But I want to encourage you not to allow some black sheep to spoil the whole flock because there are still many, many faithful churches that are devoted to the cause of Christ. And we must not forget this. Can I say this from my heart to you? That there are many, many faithful churches out there. There are many, many faithful ministries out there. They are doing all they know to forward and to advance the purposes of Christ. And your faithful giving not only goes towards, not only give towards the cause, but it also goes towards the upkeep of the church. And this includes taking care of the staff members of the church. And many of you know that we have a staff team of dedicated young pastors, dedicated young workers, people who have taken their skills, technical or otherwise, and they have given of their life to the ministry. And many of them, I can say, for, I can tell you honestly, many of the staff members have made significant sacrifices to serve in the ministry. And we do need, as a church, to take care of them and their families. How many of you agree? And I hope and pray that we'll be able to be fair towards the young people who have poured their life into the ministry. You know, I, I wish I can do a bit more for them, but we have rules that governs, you know, how we should, um, how we should take care of them. But this is something that I pray that the church will continue to be generous in this area. The church, ultimately, my friends, is still the hope of the world when it is working right. And over the years, since Pastor Ching Lai's time, I think FCC as a local church, we have sought to be faithful to the call of God. And we have sought to exercise good governance and commit to a high level of accountability. And you remember this, it's not about giving to the church as an institution, but it's about giving to the cause of Christ. That's the, that's the principle of purpose, right? Here's the next one, number four. It's the principle of privacy. The principle of privacy. Matthew chapter six, Jesus gave us another very important principle in giving, and that's the principle of privacy. Take a read of these verses with me. Matthew six, verse one to four. Jesus said, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the street to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now that's the reason why right from the start, I have a problem with people putting names on pews and tables and chairs uh, and, and all of have, na- have rooms named after them. And all. So when we built this church building, we said, nope, nothing like that. You can give a lot, but your name is not gonna appear on the walls and all of that. Why? Because giving is so self-effacing. It's supposed to be so quiet and secret that Jesus actually said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I've read this often and say, what does it actually mean? How is it even possible physically? You know, your right hand is given, your left hand don't know. What does that mean? I think it simply means this. After you are given, forget it. How do your left hand not know what your right hand is, has done? It's after you're given, forget it. Don't keep an account of how generous you are. Don't brag about what you have given, but keep your giving private. Is that okay? And I think it's a beautiful principle. If you give quietly, the Lord who sees from heaven, He sees it. Even if nobody knows, God knows, and He will reward you in secret. You know, and I've known many wonderful people who have given to the church, and you don't even know who they are, and it's because they want to practice this principle of privacy. Here's number five, another one. It's the principle of privilege. So far, are you following me? Yeah? Here's number five. Am I see your friend? It's getting quieter and quieter. You okay? All right, here's number five. It's the principle of privilege. It is a privilege to give, not a burden. It's a privilege. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, Paul says this, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This word cheerful can also be translated hilarious, you know. So imagine our offering bag comes around, people rolling on the floor, you know, hilarious. (laughs) Give cheerfully, give hilariously, give willingly. If we are not going to give willingly, then don't give. If we're not going to give happily, then don't give because it brings no pleasure to the heart of God. If when we give and we give cheerfully, we give willingly, it brings pleasure to the heart of God. There was a mom, you know, who was trying to teach a young five, uh, daughter, a 10-year-old daughter, how to give, right? So he started by giving money to the child to give, right? So he gave the mom, the mom gave, gave the child $2 and $5, and he said, okay, when you get to the offering, you give whatever you want to. And then after the service, he got to ch- set the child down and say, so darling, what did you give today? And the daughter said, $2. <laughs> Mom was a little bit disappointed. And then he said, so why did you give $2? And then she replied, because I'm more cheerful giving the $2 than the $5. <laughs> Is that Okay. I think it's okay because it really, it's all about that. It's not just, a, if you are going to give, give cheerfully. And that's what brings pleasure to the heart of God. Now, how can I give willingly and cheerfully? It is only when we recognize that giving is a privilege. You don't have to give, my friends. You get to give. 
It's a privilege. And in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 4, when Paul talks again about the attitude of the Macedonians, who are, remember they were poor, but yet they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing. That's how they see it. Even though they're poor, they want to give to the famine. Why? Because they see it as a privilege. And the truth is this, brothers and sisters, you cannot separate the gospel from giving. We give because we receive so much from the one who for our sake became poor so that in his poverty, we might become rich. So giving is no longer a sacrifice, it's a joy. We are no longer legalistically bound to give tithes and offerings. We are morally bound now to give out of a heart of love and gratitude. That's the principle of privilege. You don't have to give, you get to give. So, number one, proportion. It's not just what you give, it's what you keep, right? Two, it's priority. Don't give God the leftover. Three, it's purpose so that we give meaningfully, purposefully. Number f- and it's not just tipping God. Number four, it's privacy, right? Because the Father who sees you in secret will reward you accordingly. Number five, it's the privilege. You don't have to give, you get to give. i leave you one last one. It's the principle of profit. It's the principle of profit. There's also this principle there. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly, you will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously, you will reap generously. Put it a simple way, give peanuts, get monkeys. So you, you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, generously, you also reap generously. I like the way Jesus puts it in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Listen to this one. He says, Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For those, well, with the same measure you give, it shall be given to you again. What a beautiful picture of the God who gives. You know, when God gives to us, He says it is good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I told you this before, and I'll tell you again for the sake of the new people that are here. Uh, to me, whenever I read this verse, what comes to my mind is something I grew up with in Asia. You know, in Asia, we like to go to cinemas. And in, cinem- in, in the Asian cinemas, outside, they always sell refreshment. And one of the key refreshments they sell are nuts, all kinds of nuts. And how the people used to sell them is that they don't have plastic containers like we have today. What they have is paper. So what they do with it is that they actually take a paper and they roll it into a cone. You remember that? Those of you who came from uh, a cone, something like that. And then they would put all their peanuts inside and then they sell it to you. And they will usually have a few stores. And so when we go and buy, we always look for the ones that are generous. You know how we know they are generous? That they will give it to you good measure. They put a lot inside. And then just when it is full, what they'll do is they go to the bottom and they enlarge it a bit. These are the ones, you know, they enlarge it a bit. Then they put some more. And after they put more, they tap it a bit and then enlarge it a bit, put some more. And then after that, shake it a bit. (laughs) Then finally, they take one more handful, they put it over until it overflows. That's the one we buy from. (laughs) Because that's, that's the most generous guy. You know, and... 
I've learned over time that this is the way God gives to us. He always gives it to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and flowing over. <laughs> Got that? And I think this is the God that we serve. And our God is no man's debtor. We cannot outgive our God. Proverbs 11, 25, put it this way. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The wise man observed that in life, this is true, that actually people who give freely, they tend to get even more. But people who withhold unduly comes to poverty. A generous person refreshes others. How many of you agree? If your friend take you out and then they pay for your meal, you feel so refreshed, right? But he himself, because he gives, he also feels refreshed. So he who refreshes others actually also refresh himself. Someone put it this way, money is like cow dung. If you stack it up, it will sting. But you spread it around, it makes things grow. And it's true. <laughs> it's true, spread it around. Uh, another way to put it, giving, I think, is like, you know, it is me, I'm shoving out my resources to others, but God, in turn, is shoving back to me. And the more I shove out, the more He shoves in. The only difference is that my shover is much smaller than His shover. So it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. See, and what a principle these things are teaching us. It's a principle of profit. So I want to challenge you today, my friends, Take a step of faith when it comes to this area of giving. Now, I'm asking you not so that the church can get more money, but it is for your own discipleship. That until we learn to give, there's an aspect of our discipleship that it still needs to grow. Come and experience the truth of Acts 20, 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And my challenge is, start young. Don't wait till you're all and then you start thinking about giving. I think we can start with wherever we are, with whatever we have. It's not the portion, it's the proportion. Now, let me share this with you and then I want to help us have a time of reflection. I'll share with you my own journey when it comes to giving. You know, when I first entered the ministry, now it's about almost 40 years ago now, I can tell you I was struggling financially. I worked for an organization that was a startup, a Christian organization that was a startup in our city. And because it was a startup, it has very little to give to its staff. And because of that, because I'm receiving so little, I became very, very stingy as a person. So stingy that I would never volunteer to pay for anything. If people go out as a group, I would never volunteer to pay because firstly, I don't have much. Secondly, I became very self-preserving and I wanted to preserve whatever I have. And in the time that I worked with the organization, I worked for them for four years. Over the four years, I have a grand increment of $65. That was all I had. I've, in four years, my salary grew $65 and became so stingy, I record every single cent I spent. So if I buy you a drink last week and you didn't pay me, it's 25 cents. If you didn't pay me, I would have recorded it somewhere and I'll come to you and say, brother, you owe me 25 cents, no? Two weeks ago, I buy you the drink. <laughs> then I'll ask you for them. That's how stingy I was. And I never had a breakthrough in my finances. I was always hand to mouth, hand to mouth. My breakthrough came when I took a mission team out to Thailand. I still remember that day. 
There's a small group of us that went to Thailand to minister. And the end of that um, ministry trip, we sat down to have a debrief with the missionary and his wife. The missionary was from Thailand, the wife was from America. And that's when we found out that this family, they have six kids, you know. This family has not gone home to America to visit the grandparents for the longest time because they don't have the finances to do it. So as a small team of eight people, we decided that we're going to collect a small offering as a seed money so that they can have the seed money and then trust that God will provide the rest for them to go back for a furlough. But interestingly, the Lord moved so strongly in our heart. In that small group of eight person, we actually collected enough money to send the husband, the wife and six children back to America for one whole year. It was just something that God was stirring in the heart. And that was the biggest offering I ever gave in my life. And you got to understand, a guy who collects 25 cents from you is a big deal. And I felt so challenged. Of course, I didn't have the money. I wrote them an IOU and I put it into the offering. When the moment I get back home, I immediately wrote a check and sent it to them because I know I'm going to change my mind. Because somewhere along the way, I'm going to be convinced that actually it's like Abraham. You know, I was supposed to sacrifice Isaac, but at the last minute, God says, no worry, I'm just testing you. <laughs> so I think I better send first. So I released the money and it was the biggest offering I ever gave in my life. And the funny thing is this, you know, up to that point, I was already in ministry for seven years. And in the seven years of ministry, I often hear stories of people, of from missionaries and all that about how God provides for them miraculously. You know, I hear about what they call Pentecostal handshake. You know what a Pentecostal handshake is? It's like some God told the person go to India, but he don't have the money, but he just by faith go to the airport. Then at the airport, somebody will walk up, some stranger, shake their hands, and then, hey, got paper inside. And then they open, it's an envelope. They open, it's like, wow, exactly the money they need to buy the ticket. Wow, I hear stories like that all the time. But I tell you, in the seven years of my ministry, never even happened once. Not even once. In fact, all of my, uh, the biggest offering I ever received in the seven years was $25. But amazingly, after that moment when I gave out of, out of the depths of my heart, nearly emptied my bank account, when I did that, I began to experience Pentecostal handshake. And from that day on, I began to experience the, a financial breakthrough. I began to experience God just supplying me. And I can tell you now, after 40 years in the ministry, God has never shortchanged me. It was like seven lean years, you know, but after that, seven fat years. And God began, I began to really experience a financial breakthrough. And I'll tell you why. Because I have a feeling that I needed to be set free from my own poverty mentality. I had a mentality that says, I, I will never have enough. I needed to be, to be released you know, from my own self-centered and, and stingy ways. I needed to be taught what it means to sow seeds for others so that thanksgiving and worship can rise to my God. God needed to teach me before He can trust me with finances. And I think that's a breakthrough for me. And I want to encourage us this morning. Here's what I'd like us to do in response. I'm not asking you to come and do anything. But this morning, I want to give you a few moments, really, right where you are. Quietly ask the Lord how He would like you to grow in your stewardship. 
if you have not yet started giving regularly, it's a good time to grow in this aspect of your discipleship. And you can set up a regular giving or pledge using the information on the screen. And we put this up so that for those who have never done that before, maybe this is a good opportunity. I know many of you are faithful tithers and givers to the church. I'm really grateful for all of you. But maybe you are new and you haven't started that process. This is a good time for you to grow in this aspect of your discipleship. But before I release you to have just a time to wait upon the, the Lord, I want to share with you something um, that the church is doing. As much as we want to challenge you today to be generous in your giving, I felt that as a church, we must also want to be generous. And we want to do this by being able to give to a kingdom project outside of our own missions projects. Now, I know that the most expedient thing to do, the, the most practical thing to do, is to raise money for our own missions project. But I felt that the Lord would want us to model generosity towards others. Our goal is to be not just asking you to be other-centered, but as a church, we also want to be other-centered and not just focus on our own needs. And that's why uh, we have been sourcing and we've been talking as a missions committee and we felt led now to sow uh, $10,000 into a special project in Ukraine. Uh, there is a young couple in, from Singapore that are using their own resources and skills to help build housing for the war victims in Ukraine. And they've done it so well and so hard that it's actually attracted the attention of the Ukrainian government. And along the way, they started another project which is to protect the babies from being aborted. Because during the war, a lot of men died. And a lot of pregnant mothers, seeing that they no longer have their men with them, they thought the most expedient thing was to abort their babies. When this young couple came across so many of these women that were going and queuing up for abortion, he actually told them, don't, don't abort your baby. We will commit to look after them. And they started a woman, a woman's shelter so that they can take in all these mothers and their unborn babies. So, and then take care of them. And I thought, this is so wonderful. And then they have now started helping local churches in Ukraine to start new church plants along with all these humanitarian uh, hum uh, projects that they have started. My wife and I actually get a chance to meet this young couple when we were in, uh, in Singapore and really sit down with them and talk and get to share and understand their heart. The latest project, which is what we want to give to, is they discovered there are a lot of children that because of the war, they've lost all their toys and all that, and they came across this brilliant idea. They want to give to all the children a little lamb. It's a toy, stuffed toy, right? It's a lamb. But inside the lamb, there's a recorder where they recorded the Bible in Ukraine. And the kids will actually press the nose of the lamb and then the Bible will be read to them in their language. And there were young children, because they have no toys, they now found this toy and they can't stop listening to the Word of God. They cling on to those toys like as if it's the, <laughs> the most precious thing and they keep listening to the Word of God. And each of those lamb cost $20. And I say, we give 10,000, we can bless 500 kids with the Word of God, with the blessing and the comfort of reading the Word of God. And you be generous to the church and we as a church will continue to be generous with others. So I want to take a few moments. I'm going to pray and then I release you to take a few minutes, wait upon the Lord to see what the Lord would put on your heart, 
that you want to continue. If you have not started giving yet, this is a great opportunity for you to set up something. Okay, but if you have, then be encouraged that your giving means something. It brings thanksgiving to God. It's worship for you. Shall we pray? And then I'm gonna ask you to hear the Lord for a while. Father, we thank you this morning for an opportunity to allow your word to speak to us. And God, I pray that even as we quietly sit in your presence and allow you to speak to us, God, anything you want us to do when it comes to our giving, to increase, to release, to do more, to do less, you speak to us so that we will give according to how your Holy Spirit leads us. And God, we pray that as a church, as we together sow into this missions project, it will also bring many children to you and plant a seed of your word in all of these children's hearts. And we pray that, Lord, your kingdom will advance as a result of this. Thanksgiving will rise to your throne. So come and speak to us as we wait upon you this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.